Hi, this is Carly, a recovered alcoholic. We are on episode 26 of North Star Big Book. Welcome back. And we are in the middle of how it works. We just went over the resentment inventory. And we're in step four, we're going to go over the fear inventory. Just to recap, there are four inventories that we look at in step four that is the work of the alcoholic who makes the decision in step three that they want to change the way that they're living their life because it's a mess because they're powerless over alcohol and they can't do anything about it. So the resentment inventory is the first part. Who are we angry at? What do we rethink, refeel? And the second part is the fear inventory. The fear inventory and the other three inventories total are just like the same format of the resentment inventory. There's four columns. And the first question of the first column is, I'm fearful of. So the first column of the fear inventory, I write down my feet, who I'm, what I'm afraid of, or who I'm afraid of. Um, and this is different than the way I was taught to do it the first time I ever did it, because the first time I was told to do my fear inventory, I was told to just make a list of my fears, and I had like 137 fears. I shared them with my sponsor, which was kind of embarrassing, but nothing happened after that because we didn't do any work other than to acknowledge that I had the fears and. It wasn't until I was taken through out of the book to show me that I needed to inventory the fear and ask myself in the second column, why do I have the fear that I'm able to start seeing what is affecting me and how I'm letting it affect me. So just like the resentment inventory, I list them in column one. I needed a lot of printing of this paper because I had a lot of fear. So I list them in column one and column, then I get to column two. And I answer, why do I have the fear? So, for example, I'm fearful of being alone. Not like physically being alone in my house, but like being alone, like never finding a partner. Why do I have the fear? Because every time I fall in love with someone, it doesn't work out, or they don't want to be with me, or once they get to know me, and I'm afraid I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. So that's why I have the fear. Then, what does it affect? It affects my self-esteem, my personal relations, which is my social instinct. It affects my material and my emotional because I feel like I'm going to be alone. I'm not going to be able to take care of myself. Um, It affects my emotional security because I feel like no one wants to be with me. That's my security instinct. It affects both of my sex relations because it affects the one that I want for everyone to see and the one I don't want anyone to see because I'm embarrassed that I can't seem to get what I think I want. And my future ambitions in social security and sexual are all affected. For me, fear, um, like they talk about in the book, is something that I would like to say was. Was something that literally ran my life. Today, I still have fear. I have fear every single day. Um, It's the easiest defect for me to identify because I feel it. And, um, but it no longer runs my life, but at this time it was running my life. And then the fourth column is what is the exact nature of my wrong? So in this fear, when I get afraid that I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life and all these things are affected, how do I behave selfish and dishonest? Well, I behave selfish and dishonest because I'm not willing to be alone and sit by myself and wait for something that's right for me. I'd rather just be with anybody and use my body and use someone else's body just to have security and affection when really I don't even like the person. It's self-seeking because I'm only looking for what's best for me even though I don't like the person. It's inconsiderate of them. It's inconsiderate of me and the sacred intimacy that I don't know how to have. It's inconsiderate of my higher power. And I make all those decisions based out of fear. 
So let's look in the book. On the bottom of 67, I made a big line after um, that paragraph that we just finished where it says we admitted our wrongs honestly and we're willing to set these matters straight. So I made a big line. That's the end of the resentment inventory. And on the top of the line, I wrote fear inventory. So everything we're going to read about now is from our fear inventory. And I wrote on the side, second manifestation of self. The fear inventory is the second manifestation of self. All people have um, the basic instincts of life, the security, the sexual, and the social. But not all people make their decisions based out of fear. I do. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word, I underlined, somehow touches about every aspect of of our lives. I underlined and I put a star next to, it was an evil and corroding thread. And I circled that word was, because they're, they're promising me in the book in, in very subtle terms that it's no longer going to be an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence, and I circled was shot through with it. So again, the fabric of my existence does not need to be shot through with it anymore. It, it and above the word it, I wrote fear. So fear set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune, I underline, we felt we didn't deserve. So, of course, because I made a decision based on fear, and then the decision I made, which was a poor one, ends up blowing up in my face, and then I look at the blow up in my face and I go, of course, here I am again, treating horribly, and I look, no one wants to be with me, and, you know, my life is horrible. But really, if I look Honestly, the decisions I made, they were not healthy, smart choices. And of course, they ended up the way that they did. I underlined the next sentence and I put a star, but did not we ourselves set the ball rolling, which is real, which is my real problem is I'm the one who sets the ball rolling, except for a few things that happened to me when I was really little or some horrible things that happened as a result of me not having any control. The majority of my stuff is my own doing. On the bottom of the page, I wrote the problem, and I wrote self-seeking, that's my problem, and then I wrote versus my solution, which is God-seeking. So I don't know how to not be a self-seeking person. If I knew how to do that, that would be awesome, but instead, I need to focus on being God-seeking. One of my sponsors says that the way to um, get through this stuff and change is if I turn all the defects in my fourth step my fourth column into the opposite so instead of being self-seeking I'm God-seeking instead of being inconsiderate I'm considerate instead of being dishonest I need to be honest instead of being selfish I need to think about others or how I would want to be approached instead of being fearful I need to be faithful so the when I'm if I behave in those opposite ways then I'm going to get really different results if I continue to behave in those character defect ways, I'm going to get very similar messy results. On the bottom of 67, it says, sometimes, and I turn to 68, we think, we ought, we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. And then I wrote on the top of the page, it's kind of long, so I'll repeat it. My fourth column, my fourth column, so the fourth column of my fear inventory and my resentment, My fourth column creates my first column. So let's think about this for a second before we write any more. My fourth column creates my first column. So because I operate out of dishonest, selfish, self-seeking, inconsiderate fear, when I think about my future with an intimate partner, I become afraid that I'm going to end up alone because I make bad decisions when I operate out of that defect. 
So my fourth column actually is making my fear bigger. So it says on the top of the page, my fourth column creates my first column. And I wrote, because I'm selfish, dishonest, and considerate. I wrote, because I'm selfish, dishonest, and considerate. And then I made dot, 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 because I'm not going to write all the defects there. Because I'm those defects, I, and then I wrote, resent slash fear slash harm others. Because I'm selfish, dishonest, and considerate, I resent fear and harm others. So I won't resent fear and harm others if I'm God-seeking, honest, and considerate. Because I'm going to be always looking for what's the right thing to do. And it's not going to make me harm someone else or retaliate. It says, it seems to cause more trouble. On the top of 68, it says, we, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. I underlined, we asked ourselves why we had them. And then I underlined, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? I want to talk about something here that literally changed everything for me in sobriety about fear. So I wrote something on the side, and then I'm going to explain it. I wrote, fear happens. Fear happens. When one of my instincts, so one of the basic instincts, fear happens when one of my instincts are threatened. Fear happens when one of my instincts are threatened and not God-reliant. And not God-reliant. So I'm going to repeat that one more time. Fear happens when one of my instincts are threatened and not God-reliant. I went to a... AA Young People Icky Pa conference when I was newly sober and I've not gone since because there were a lot of things I didn't like about it but there are also a lot of things that are amazing about it. When I was there, I showed up at the Sunday morning spiritual speaker and it was this guy who was amazing and kind of in your face about the truth that he was finding and he asked, I sat in the front row and he asked us to list in our minds some of our current fears. His name was Mark Houston. He died sober. And I remember easily listing my current fears. One of them was college. I was switching colleges at, at Cleveland State, and I was really nervous how I was going to do this, how I was going to do sober. And um, I remember thinking that. And he said, now I want you to look at your fears that you have, and I want you to ask yourself, have you invited God in those areas are these areas where self-reliance has failed you? Are these areas that you can't figure out on your own? And all the fears I had listed were things that were things I couldn't make better on my in my own mind. And what he his suggestion was was that fear happens when one of the things I want I can't figure out how to make happen on my own and I'm not remembering to ask my higher power for help. Or I'm not trusting my higher power. So I'm trying to figure it out on my own. I can't figure it out with my mind. And I keep trying to figure it out with my mind. And my mind gets afraid. And what I've thought about whenever I've thought about this part. And I've come to this part in the book. Is there's literally no fears I have today. That don't fit perfectly into that idea. All of my current fears. Like my first one that came to my mind is money. You know money is always scary to me. Those are that's an area that I forget on a regular basis to say, God, I'm afraid about money. I know that I'm going to have enough. I know that you've never, ever left me homeless. I know that I'm, if I need help, you'll give it to me and you'll guide me along the way. Please help me be responsible and respectful and financially capable to do this. 
I'm going to give this to you. You help me and guide me. I don't do that. I just walk around afraid about money and I think about how we're going to do all this and how we're going to pay for college and how we're going to pay for bar mitzvah and how we're going to pay for all this. And I forget that I have God. I'm agnostic. Um, so it says, self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us had... Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. So the next paragraph I bracketed and it says, perhaps there's a better way. We think so. For we are now, I underlined, on a different basis. So we're, we're operating on a completely new plane here. And it says, I underlined, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. So that's the new basis that I'm going to be on. I'm going to trust and rely upon God rather than on Carly. So I work out every single morning. The only time I don't work out is if I'm really, really, really sick um, or if I'm not capable of working out. So because I work out every morning and I've done so for many years, I don't wake up every day or in the middle of the night thinking, oh my goodness, I wonder if I'm going to be able to work out tomorrow. I just... I can rely on myself to wake myself up with my alarm clocks. I can rely that I'm not going to have to struggle to work out, that I'm going to do it even if it's hard because it's a decision I've made and, I've, and I, can, I can rely on myself. I don't even need God's help with it. Of course, God's helping me with it, but I'm not even aware of it. I don't have fear when it comes to that. I do have fear when it comes to, like, how am I going to do all this on my own or something silly and little like, what if physical therapy doesn't help me like the doctor says it's going to help me and I can never run again and my knees are caca and I'm never going to be able to be a runner. And those fears are me not trusting the process of the exercises I need to do, the time I need to do, and asking God for help. I actually need other people's help. I need the physical therapist. I need God and I need myself in this. And that's why I'm afraid because I have to rely on me more than me. It says... We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns. I underline the rest of the paragraph, and this is a promise, and it's also a partnership, which is just like the partnership we talked about on page 63. So I wrote on the top of this partnership, and I'm going to read, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So I'm going to go through a couple of things here. So that's a promise. And it's of the partnership that I developed in step three, which is that I'm going to stay close to God and perform his work well, and he's going to give me what I need. It says the same thing right here. I need to do what I think God would want me to do, and I need to humbly rely on God. And then God's going to enable me to match calamity with serenity. So with that comes the promise that I'm going to face calamity, and God will provide serenity as long as I do these two things. I wrote on the side, I face life instead of walking away from it. I face life instead of walking away from it. Which, I'm a runner. Like, not just physically, I want to run. The other day, me and my husband were having a discussion that wasn't going real well, and I didn't like the way I felt. And I told him, because we tell each other everything, and I said, I want to run away from you right now. I want to run and curl up in a ball and like implode in myself and disappear and I don't want you anywhere near me I want to run away um, because I don't like to feel things and I'm 19 years sober and I still have that gut reaction when I'm in fear 
and it said, I wrote on the side of my book, I face life instead of walking away from it. And so just because I shared that with him didn't mean I did that. I was sharing that with him because I trust him. But I didn't do that. I just wanted to. Okay, so it says, we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that, I underline, faith means courage. So faith means courage. I underline that. Faith means knowledge. So I have knowledge of a situation. So I know it's going to work out because a similar situation has worked out before when I did this. So I did not have faith the first time I went through the steps. I was terrified and I had no other, no clue what I was doing and no other option other than death um, or uh, asylum. And so the first time I went through it, I had to believe what the people who took me through it told me that it was going to be okay. Once I went through it and I experienced what I experienced, now I know the steps work. I have faith that they work and I have faith that they can work for you who's never done them. Faith means courage. I underlined and circled, all men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. And I always want to remind myself, I tell this to my children, that you cannot have courage. You cannot be a courageous person until you start off as a fearful person. Because it's not courageous to do something you're not afraid of. It's only courageous to do something that is hard or you're afraid of. It says, they trust their God. We never apologize for God. I underline the rest of the paragraph. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. And I circled that word be. I underlined it. Once we commence to outgrow fear. And I wrote on the side, prayer. So now we have got a fear prayer. And I wrote on the side next to prayer, what does God want me to be? question mark. What does God want me to be? I wrote two things underneath there that are an answer that I found. And you can write whatever answer you find, whether you find it through meditation or just something you know. So for me, what I know God always wants me to be is useful and kind. There's never a time where one of those two options or both of them um, would ever harm anything. And God, the reason why I got saved from that alcoholic death and the reason why God helps me walk through all the things I get to walk through is because God needs my help God needs me to help others and I'm the happiest when I'm useful and kind and that is what God needs me to be when I'm afraid I am not useful and I'm not kind I'm afraid and fear freezes me so the book tells me to ask God to remove the fear to direct my attention to what he would have us be and I think about that most of the time the answer is to be a good mother or to show up for my kids usually I'm with my kids or something um so it's about action I made a big line underneath there that's the end of the fear inventory and we're going to start on the sex inventory. We're going to finish um, early. You know, we'll finish in 10 minutes. And then next week we'll do the rest of the sex inventory. Because we got a lot to talk about for sex. So I separated that um, paragraph. And on the top of it I wrote sex inventory. And I wrote, it says, now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there. But above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find, I underlined human opinions. Because remember, Nobody gets to tell us what we need to do or not do in this area. This area is a mess, 
And something that I talk about a lot is the human opinions that I got when I was sober, newly sober, and sponsored by people who were not in the book. And I wasn't in the book, so I didn't even know what to look for and what what, what wasn't okay and what was. And there were a lot of human opinions. I found it years later, human opinions, and people like to share them, especially about this subject. And what I've learned through a lot of trial and error is that the best thing for me to do is to stay out of anyone's sex stuff. When a sponsee comes to me with their sex inventory or they inventory about sex stuff or intimate stuff or relationship problems or fears or whatever, my goal is always to point them back to the inventory on 69, to to their higher power, to the sex ideal that they hopefully wrote up when they went over this, um, to prayer and waiting and asking. Um, the worst thing I can do is tell them what to do because they will always blame it on me if it blows up in their face. And I don't know what's best for someone's sex conduct, just like I don't know what's best for someone's job prospects or medical stuff. Like I'm not an expert. I'm, the only thing that I'm really good at is teaching someone how to go back to the steps to laying out all the truth and the facts from an inventory to identifying what's real and what's not and helping the person see their options. A really good sponsor can help a sponsee see their options after the sponsee has inventoried and laid them all out on the table. My sponsors just help me identify what my options are. I lay out the, all my stuff on the table through inventory. I spread it out and I show everybody what I've got and then I sometimes can't see something, so one of my sponsors will point out, oh, you didn't look at this this way, and I can see it this way. They help me see an option that I couldn't see before or in a different light, and then I say to them, okay, tell me what to do, and they're like, no way. I'm not telling you what to do. And when I was going through my divorce, and it was so painful and exhausting, and I was, I literally was begging both of my sponsors, just tell me what to do. Like, I, I trust you, I love you, I know you want what's best for me, I'll just do what you whatever you tell me to do. And they're like, no, we're not telling you what to do. Um, so it says, here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes. Perhaps one set of voices cry that sex is a loss of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow a man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us on an all-straight pepper diet. I underlined the next two sentences. We want to stay out of this controversy, and I circle the word stay out. I underline, we do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. And I wrote in really big letters on one side, stay out of it, with exclamation marks. On the other side, I wrote the definition for arbiter, and it means... Person in power, person in power, person who has sole or absolute power of judging or determining. So an arbiter is a person in power, person who has sole or absolute power of judging or determining. And I don't want anybody to have sole or absolute power of my decisions, especially in my intimate life and my relationships other than my higher power and myself. 
yes, can I get some input from people I respect and love? Absolutely, from their own experience. But remember, every single time someone talks about what they think I should do with my sexual relationship or my intimate relationship, including myself when I'm talking about it, we are only communicating through the lenses of our own experience. So we can only come to you from our childhood, from anything that happened there, from our our current relationship, from our old relationships, from what we morally think about different areas, and we're not going to ever get what might be right for us. We're just getting what they think. So it says, I underlined, we all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? This next paragraph is what we can do about them. I bracketed the whole thing. I wrote on the side, sex inventory. Again, the sex inventory is four columns, just like the other inventories. The first column says, what did, who did I harm? So just to break that idea that the sex inventory is a list of all the naughty things I did, that's not what we're doing here. We're writing about who I harmed. So on my sex inventory were anyone I was in a relationship with, anyone I used in a one-night stand, anyone who got hurt, collateral damage because of what I wanted from my sex conduct. My parents were on there because I harmed them with my behavior um, because I was overtly sexual when I was younger and I was probably making them very uncomfortable. Um, I harmed myself. I was on there. I harmed my higher power, my relationship with my God. And I made sure that I got everybody down that I harmed with my sex conduct. And then the, the next question is, what did I do? So we get to write down what we did. So it says, this this paragraph is where we get the questions. I underline the whole thing. We reviewed our own conduct. So we're not talking about somebody else's. We did that in resentment. We're talking about our own conduct. We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had, I underline, we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? So that's the question that they're looking for. I also wrote the word manipulating because that was a big one for me with this with this area. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? And I underline that too. Where were we at fault? I underline that. What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. So this is where I start to look at my behavior. This paragraph becomes a tool for not only helping me write my fourth step inventory, but it becomes a tool for helping me figure out any relationship issue I'm going through. If a a situation I want to get into is the right situation, I can inventory it before. Um, If a situation I'm currently in is the right situation, I can inventory it while I'm in it. Or if I'm out of a situation and I'm mad about it and I want to know why it's over and how I'm going to ever go on, I can also inventory it through that. So it says, I underline, in this way, we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. I circled the word sane and sound, and above it, I wrote healthy. And then on the side, I wrote each word, and I'm going to give you the definition, because it's important, because this is what we're going to shape into. So the word sane means showing good judgment, showing good judgment, sensible and practical. So sane means showing good judgment, sensible and practical. That could not have been farther from the truth of the way I used to live my life. Sound means healthy, not diseased or damaged. Healthy, not diseased or damaged. So I want to have a I want to show good judgment, sensible and practical and make not diseased or damaged healthy decisions 
and goals and dreams for my future sex life and relationship life. Now, a lot of people go about creating a sex ideal in many different ways. There is no wrong or right way to do it. Um, One of my sponsors believes very strongly in writing it out and being very, very clear about it. I think it's really helpful. I think one thing I would share out of my experience is that mine has evolved massively throughout the years. In the beginning, it was very, very long and specific. It was mostly like character traits of the kind of relationship I wanted to be in. And then along the line, it was what kind, how do I want to feel in relationships? And a couple years ago, it was, um, I don't want to harm myself or anyone else or God with my sex conduct. And now it's a really uncomfortable one that I literally would have never been able to be physical with anybody except for my husband. Um... And if I would have followed this one, and this is just my personal experience after doing this work, now my sex ideal is I will not allow anyone to touch my body who has not first touched my soul. And that would never have happened because I never let anybody in and I didn't think I was worth it and that if they saw it, they wouldn't want to be near it. So it's evolved and I hope that it will continue to evolve. I underline, we subjected each relation to this test. And here's the test, question mark. Was it selfish or not? And that's ultimately the test. We asked God, not our sponsor, not our mom, not our therapist, not our partner. We asked God to mold our ideals. And I circled that word ideals again. I underline, and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good. I underlined, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. And I wrote next to the loathed, can't use sex to force our will upon another. Can't use sex to force our will upon another. So I don't want to use my body or my sexual being to make something happen that somebody doesn't want to have happen, which is what I did use it for all the time. We are going to stop right there. Next week we will finish, and then we will get into the harms inventory and hopefully into the beginning of step five. Thank you for being here. It is a pleasure and an honor. I hope you have an amazing week. It's totally up to you.